0: Turn into Bible to Revelation chapter 3. Okay, put your seatbelts on now. The title of the lesson today is The Scourge of Half-Heartedness. Ooh. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at the idea of being half-hearted. What's it mean to be half-hearted? Wishy-washy. Wishy-washy, okay. That's a very uh, undefinitive answer. Um Going through the motions. motions. What'd you say, Chris? Apathetic. Apathetic. Uncommitted. Just sort of doing it, but not uh, sort of uh, uh, being wholehearted as opposed to half hearted, right? Yep. And we're going to look at this idea, we're going to look at a, 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 a biblical example uh, in the man of Solomon and some things that happened in his life, hopefully it be a good study for us and uh, a good challenge for us in our faith and where we're at in our relationship with God. You say, well Marty, uh, should this encourage me or should it challenge you? Uh, and the answer is, well, probably both and hopefully both. It should challenge you. Anytime you talk about half-heartedness, there's a possibility that you're half-hearted. Yep. We've all done things at different times in our life half-heartedly, haven't we? Yes. So we understand what it means to be half-hearted, and we also know what it means to be full-hearted. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Now this is a, there's a, a number of letters that are written to different churches at the first part of the book of Revelation. And this is the one to the church in Laodicea. This is a a church that's been established and uh, Jesus is saying some things to them. You'll see some positive things and some negative things. Let's read it and then we'll make observation. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the other. So because you are lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and sad to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Unbelievable passage of Scripture. He starts off, he says, you know, you're, you're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were one or the other. Now you wonder wondering in your own heart, you say, now, wait a minute, is Jesus actually saying, I wish you would be cold? And I think he is exactly saying that. Because the problem with being lukewarm is that you're out of touch with all reality. You're neither hot nor cold. And so you sort of need that, that that cold cup of water thrown on you. You know, that you go, whoa! And you all of a sudden you realize where you're at. That's what he's saying. Ultimately, obviously, he wants them to get hot, right? Easy biblical interpretation there. But he says, because you're lukewarm, you either hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The imagery is to vomit. He says, your state of being lukewarm makes me nauseated. And I'm about to retch because of it. Now that ought to hit us pretty hard about our faith. Because it is incredibly important, therefore, to Jesus that we're not in this lukewarm, half-hearted kind of condition. This in-between kind of state. He says, I want you to be hot as you need to be. And he goes on and he says some interesting things about them there. And, and uh, he says, uh, you know, that uh, uh, you know and, and it is important that we note here in verse 17, he says, You say that I am rich. In other words, this is what they say about themselves: I am rich. I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. Interestingly enough, they're in this lukewarm condition, and apparently, their sort of how they view themselves is: is that I've made a lot of advancements in my life. I'm actually in a good place, and I don't need any help. But he goes on to say, he says, "But you don't realize where you're really at." You're wretched, poor, naked. And he goes on and, and and he says these things. All imagery of, man, you think you're in one place. You have this sort of mental image that you're just in a great spot. He says you are in an awful spot in your life. You know, we can get to a point in our spiritual life where we really don't have a good view of who we are. We think we're at one place... But in reality, according to the Lord, we might be in another place altogether. And that's a very sobering thought, that you and I can become that sort of out of touch with the spiritual reality of where we are in our life. Now the good thing is, Jesus doesn't say this and just say, Well, you know, I'm upset with you and I'm just going to leave you there. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He says, I want you to know, I'm saying this to you, because I love you. So be earnest and repent. Now we're going to come back and talk about those two things a little bit later. What does it mean to be earnest? What does it mean to repent? He says, here I am, I'm standing at the door and knocking. I want to have a relationship with you. Now, in many cases, people have used this to say, well, you can just pray Jesus into your heart. That's not at all what this passage of Scripture is talking about. He's not talking to non-Christians who need to become Christians. He's talking to Christians that have sort of seeped into this lukewarm kind of condition, and he's saying, hey, let's get it back where it needs to be in our life. I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. Now, look in your Old Testament to First Kings chapter 11. We're going to look at a story here from the Old Testament of King Solomon, and uh, this is a long. Uh, in his uh, time of being king, he's been king uh, for several years now. Things have gone on in his life, and uh, he's built up the the. Uh, the kingdom, tremendously, is very wise, because God has given him wisdom. A lot of good things had happened in his life. He built the temple, and, uh, you know, that was obviously a huge uh, undertaking that David, his father, had sort of set him up for. And this is now a little bit later in his life, and we pick it up in verse 1. It says, King Solomon, however... So this is, you know, we talked about some of the great things about King Solomon. Now he says, however... So you're like, uh-oh, here it comes... He loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had, now get this, 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Now let's just stop right there. (laughs) Now in those days, it would not have been absolutely out of the ordinary in a sense of political alliances that you would have a wife From a nation that you're trying to establish some sort of diplomatic relationship with or or a a trusting relationship with and that kind of thing. That's why at the the beginning it says he had uh, many wives other than Pharaoh's uh, daughter. So apparently Pharaoh's daughter had been given to uh, Solomon and that was one of his arrangements and that kind of a thing. But then it goes on from there. Not only did he have those uh, kind of situations, but he had all these uh, other women from all these other different countries that God had said, you need to stay away from these people, they'll be a bad influence on your life. So he has now 700 wives. 700! I want you to get an idea of 700 and three hundred concubines, so he has a thousand women that are in his life. A thousand—that's a lot. Those—all all the husbands in the room say, "Oh my gosh, man, I'm—I'm I'm struggling with one." I mean, <laughs> You mean there were 999 other ones? Whoa! This is one of those stories in the Bible, you read it and you almost scratch your head and you think, this must be a hyperbole. I mean, uh, wow. But it says, he says, I told you not to do this. It said, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. I mean, he loved this arrangement that he had. And it says, his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Now this is the result now. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow... The Lord completely has David his father has done, so here is the result of what he has done is that he is now in this half hearted condition. He is still worshiping the Lord God, but he 's also worshiping these other gods that these women have brought into his life, and somehow to keep peace with these women he 's allowed this to go on. And not only allowed it to go on, now it's, began, it's begun to be part of his life as well. And so he's now in this half-hearted condition. Well, let's keep going in verse 7. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. So you see what's going on here? He's brought these women in. Maybe at the beginning it was, it was in his mind a political reality of his time, but he's continued to do it. He actually is, he loves it. He, he likes bringing all these women in. And more and more and more he's trying to accommodate them. Well yeah, you can worship your God. yeah, yeah. okay, I'll build out there, over here, over there. And so almost the imagery is all over Jerusalem now, outside of Jerusalem, are all these places of worship to foreign gods, that Solomon's women brought into his life, that now He is allowed to become part of the landscape in Jerusalem. Verse nine. The Lord became very angry. Or angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees in which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, For the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of your hand and and, uh, out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. His wives eventually turned his heart away. He went from being wholly committed. So now he's half committed. He's in this, this, this half-hearted kind of a condition. It is a fair question for all of us to ask uh, ourselves, soberly. What would it take to lead your heart away? Solomon was led astray, it says. This story is very clear. By his wives. These women eventually had an influence in his life that led him into this position of half-heartedness. What would it be maybe in your life? I doubt very seriously that anybody in this room is going to have 700 wives. You with me on that? In in, in In the day and time that we live in, if you have 700 wives in America, it's going to be fairly obvious. You're not going to have a home you're going to have a dormitory, uh, you know, in the backyard. I mean, this is not... Obviously, a thousand women is not going to happen to anybody in this room. So we can say, okay, I'm not going to fall into that. But what might it be in your life that would lead you from being wholehearted in your devotion to God to half-hearted to your devotion to God? I'm convinced that the Bible teaches that there's something out there for all of us. Yes. There's some temptation. There's some situation. There's some circumstances that we can get ourselves in that it would take us from being wholly committed to half committed. Yes. Yep. What might it be in your life? It's important that you think about that. Yep. It's important that you at least imagine in your mind, okay, what could it be? Could it be my career? We, you know, we have to have a career. That's fine. But could it be your career? Could it be the relationships that you have in your life? Are they good relationships that, that build up and, 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 uh, and help you in your faith? Are they relationships that sort of lead you down another path? Could it be the relationships you have in your life? Could it be just a, a, a sense of, of worldliness? I, I want a bigger car. I want a better car. I want a bigger TV. I want a better TV. I want a bigger house. I want a better house. You know, I mean, bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger and better. You know, uh, that, that, that kind of thing of, of life that, that you just have this drive. You always want the newest and nicest thing. I had to laugh that, that uh, one of the guys was saying, Uche finally got a, a smartphone. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, man, I'm telling you. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about Uche going for the, the newest and latest. I, I'm I, 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 I hoping Uche will catch up sometime, you know, uh, and, and, and that kind of a thing. The amazing thing is I'm ahead of him. Uh, that that's shocking. That is that is really shocking right there. But it scares me about Uche and where he really is. Uh, of course, Ray Ray. Where's Ray? Ray Ray's hanging on, man. He 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 still has the old one, man. But he, he 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 says he says Uche went over to the dark side. But. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, uh, you know, I mean, for some of us, obviously, bigger and better is not a big temptation. Uh, but, you know, what might it be? Maybe it's just being lazy, you know, being content. You know, I, I, I just, what, what do you like to do? I like to just sit, you know, and, and, and uh, plant yourself, you know, in, in the living room and that kind of a thing. All of us have something that can lead us in a bad way. Now, the half-heartedness here, we've got to get this with Solomon's story. Because there's two things here that are really bad that you really got to lean into. Number one, it made God angry at him. I have appeared to you, he says, I have appeared to you twice. I gave you wisdom, I gave you the kingdom. And this is how you treat me. God is not pleased, will not be pleased with me or you. If we go into this half-hearted state, and it's a possibility all of us can get to. It's a reality I can get to. It's a reality you can get to. And we've got to make sure that we're on guard not to get there. But number one, it makes God angry. Number two, He says, I'm not going to tear the kingdom from you, but I am going to tear it from your son. Now parents, listen up. This is what Solomon reaps in the next Generation. No one wants their kids to be harmed by the decisions that they make. But oftentimes, as as with this story, Solomon made decisions that ultimately didn't have anything to do with his children in the beginning. I mean, he's bringing in all these women that didn't have anything to do with his kids. He's not thinking about his kids. He's thinking about these women and how much he loves having all these pretty women around. But the reality is it sets up a reality for his son that is going to be catastrophic. His son Rehoboam. And we don't have time to study all that. But what happens is the kingdom is torn out of, out of Rehoboam's hand. And it sets up a mess that's going on that goes on then for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The reality is he didn't just mess up his life, he messed up his kids' lives. Parents, your children know. Here's the thing. Your children know more than you think they know about your level of real commitment to God. They know more than you think they know. Because they observe us as as children all the time. Whether we're recognizing it or not, they are registering what is going on with mommy. What is going on with daddy? What's going on with mommy and daddy? And it has an impact on how they value your relationship with God. Now we know that's true if we think about it as adults, because as as adults we were once children. And we remember as children looking at our parents' lives, right? And we remember making observations about their lives and their faith. I remember thinking at different times about my mom and dad, that their faith is not quite what it needs to be. Because I saw them doing or saying or acting in certain ways that I was like, well, I don't know right there, you know. Dad's not being a real good Christian at this moment. (laughs) I can easily remember those moments with both my mom and my dad. And my mom and my dad together, I'm nearly 50, or no, I'm almost 60 years old. Wow, I almost forgot there. Uh, uh, almost left out a decade. Uh, that, that's bad. When you leave out a decade, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're missing. You're uh, off a little bit. But I remember that, and I remember it had a, a negative impact on me. Now, by the grace of God, I got to where I needed to be. Amen? Amen? And by the grace of God, we all got to where we needed to be. Amen? That's fine. But don't kid yourself that you can be, be sort of a Sunday uh, attender and then go home and, and do what you want it to be and, and act the way you want it at home and your kids aren't going to notice it. They are going to notice whether you're full hearted or whether you're half hearted. Yeah. And so that's got to register big time in our life. Okay, now I want to go back and I want to talk about what it said in Revelation 3. He says, Hey, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent. Let's talk about those two things. Being earnest What does it mean? That's not one of those words that we use very often, right? I bet nobody's ever said to you, you need to be more earnest. (laughs) Really? Earnest? What is earnest? That's where you get out the dictionary and start to... Okay, what does it mean to be earnest? Earnest is easy. Earnest means wholehearted. What is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Love Love God with... All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Okay, wholehearted. Be earnest. Be wholehearted in what you do. I think one of the greatest passages of encouragement in this this idea is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. God wants us to be wholehearted. He commands us to be wholehearted. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to be wholehearted. Yep. So you should be. I should be. Wants want just to be. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to Timothy. This is his second letter to him. And he's talking about his faith. He says in verse 5... Uh, he says, I, I, I've been reminded of your uh, sincere faith which first lives in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. He says, Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of your faith. I know it came from your grandmother and your mother. A lot of us in this room, our faith was influenced by our families. And, and that's a great thing. If it didn't in your life, then fine. Started it with you. You know, you start the, the influence of family. But anyway, he, he, uh, that Timothy's faith had, had uh, originated in his grandmother and his mother. And, and he says, and, and I'm persuaded it now lives in you. Now look at this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self discipline. Wow! Timothy needed to get fired up. Timothy! He said, I remind you about this. Now get that flame burning! Get going! If Timothy is in a position where he is being encouraged by Paul to get fired up, isn't it within the realm of reason that you and I could also be in that same condition? Yes. Absolutely. There are times when I am not where I need to be in my heartedness. And I need somebody oftentimes in my life to say, Hey, you need to get it together, Marty. Come on. Let's go. Wholeheartedness is not just a product of your decision. It's the product of the influences in your life. Okay? So that's what it means to be earnest. Now let me ask you a question. Generally speaking in life, if someone is an earnest person or a wholly committed person, let's take this out of the realm of church. We uh, could be church, but let, let's broaden it out to uh, to all uh, things of life. If someone is an earnest person, they're a wholehearted person, is it pretty obvious that that's who they are? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I would say that's true, right? Yeah, right. That if someone really enjoys being a student, they're a wholehearted student, you can sort of tell it, right? right. If someone is sort of a wholehearted athlete, uh, uh, you can sort of tell it. Right. Yesterday, the uh, NCAA uh, wrestling championships were on, and uh, Chris and I had dinner together. And we were watching it together, and uh, I, I was reminded, wow, uh, <laughs> these guys, they're out there, uh, and, and they are. I mean, if you're that good at that level, uh, you're a little out there. Uh, I, I'm saying, you'd have to watch it to know, but they're a little out there. You can tell. And Chris made a comment a couple of times. She said, that guy looks scary. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know what? She's right. That guy is the, the coach at Penn State. He never lost a match in college and won an Olympic gold yeah, he's a little scary. <laughs> and then she, then she saw Tom Brands, the coach at, at University of Iowa, and she said, that guy is really, he's scary. He's got bad looking eyes. I said, yeah, that guy was a two-time national champ and a two-time Olympic gold medal winner. Yeah, he's a little scary. You know what? You can tell if a student is really into it. You can tell if an athlete's really into it. You can tell. Uh, uh, you know, you can tell. And, and you can tell at church I watched a little bit today as I was looking around as we were singing. And you know what? Some of you guys, you didn't look that fired up. You know, you didn't look that into it. He said, "Well, you're judging me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Guilty, charged. You see, I'm the shepherd. There you go. There you go. The, the shepherd's supposed to shepherd the sheep. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Now, you're going to have to deal with that on your own. Right, yes. But I'm just telling you, if someone's fired up, generally speaking, it's pretty obvious. And if you don't look like you're fired up, then maybe you're not. If you know what I'm saying. I want to give you a couple things here about your faith and this this whole idea of being wholehearted. As we close out. Number one, being wholehearted is personal. Nobody is wholehearted unless it is personal. This is personal to me. You don't have quiet times every day unless you personally choose to do it. No, Your your wife and your husband, your parents, your your children can't make you do anything on a sustained basis. It's personal. You either choose to do it or you choose not to do it. We just need to all understand that. We need to all feel comfortable with that. This is me. This is on me. It's personal. Your personal relationship with God. The decision to to carve out the time in your schedule. I know you're busy. I know you have things to do. I know your life is demanding. But I also know that in life we all do things that we choose to do because we choose to do it. It's personal. Now I sort of like that. Because I really don't like to do things that I feel like are being imposed upon me. I've got to tell you that. That's just who I am. Maybe that's rebellious. Probably is. Probably a little rebellion right there in my heart that I'm just sharing to you. I don't like it when I feel like I'm being made to do something. But i tell you what I do like. I like it when I make a decision and then I do it. It makes me feel real good. Because then I know who I am. Your faith is personal. Number two, your faith should have a public part to it. There should be people in your life. You know, Solomon was influenced negatively. Influence in our life can be negative or it can be positive. I want to read you a a text. I'm not going to tell you the people involved here. But I want you to read this. It's actually funny. If I can find it here. Just be with me. Shoot. I knew I couldn't find this. Oh, here we go. You see, that's my my problem with the iPhone right there. Okay. Uche, you need to help me. Oh, no. Okay, I knew I could find it. Talk on it. See, I brought my phone up here and I left it on and then it went off. It's on. It's on. I found it. Here we go. Okay. Now, I'm going to share, I shared this with several of my friends. I'm not going to tell you who they are. But there are several of my friends just this last week. Just had a moment and I'm thinking of my great friends. Each of you are a super important part of my life, and a lifeline, in all the challenges and pleasures that my life encounters. Thanks for your wisdom, faith, and spiritual stability that you bring to me. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Now here are the responses. One friend says, Amen friend, couldn't agree more. One says, Better friends than I could ever have imagined. One friend says, Agreed. Thanks for the reminder. Then the last friend says, Wow, you got the cancer or something? (laughs) But I happen to know that he shared he didn't share his response, but he actually shared that with his D group what I had written to him. You know what? Your 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 faith is just not personal. Your faith is also public. I need these kind of relationships in my life. I need to be able to say things like that to my friends. And I need my friends sometimes to say those kind of things to me too. Yes. Even the funny one at the end. Wow, you got that cancer or something? <laughs> you know what? You have to know him. We, we, we all have one of them, right? You know, in our circle of friends, there's always one. You know, you you never know what they're going to say as you come on back. But see, your faith, the idea of being wholehearted, is very personal. But it's also public. You need people in your life to help you, guys. You need somebody, you need several somebodies in your life that know you, that love you, that accept you. Know your weaknesses. Know your problems. Accept you for who you are. But also, are going to give you a proverbial kick in the pants every once in a while. And say, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Come on, let's go. What's wrong? Pick it up. So your faith is being a wholehearted thing. It's personal, it's public, and it should be Progressing. we ought to be able to see in our life some level of progression. I am at least getting better. Now, let me say this. If you've been a faithful Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20, more years than that, You are progressing if for no other level of progression. You are progressing in the context of you are a faithful Christian for all those years. If you are a faithful Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, listen, you have seen the church at its height. You've seen the church doing great. You've seen the church at its low. You've seen the church doing poor. You've seen Christians be magnanimous. You've seen Christians be awful. And you are still... Faithful! That's progress. That's just getting a little better. All the time. Now if you're a young Christian here, we have some young Christians here, and you haven't been around the church long enough to see the church go through a a, a bad time. You haven't been around the church long enough for a Christian to really offend you. (laughs) Hang around! (laughs) It'll happen! (laughs) It's inevitable. <laughs> because the church is made up of, of sinners. Right. Now, sinners hopefully have a relationship with God and are going to be saved by the grace of God at the judgment. But they're still sinners and they still have the potentiality of saying and doing things that might you know, hurt your faith. But you know what? It goes back to that old saying that I think is so important, at least it has been in my life. Improvement is always appreciated. You don't have to get totally better at any time. Just get a little better. You don't have to be a straight-A student. Let's just let's, let's, let's get one C and four D's. Come on, man. Let's, let's, let's make improvement. Let's, let's get a little bit better uh, along the way. Because friends, I've got to tell you, and this is deadly serious, this half-hearted thing don't go with God. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, please take that home with you. This half-hearted thing isn't going to go with God. God doesn't do half-heartedness. He expects. He yearns for. He demands that you and I have a wholehearted relationship with Him. I hope our study today has been both a challenge as it should be for all of us, but it also should be an encouragement you see, why I don't? I don't think I'm wholehearted today, Marty. If I really did an analysis of myself right now, I don't think I'm 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 wholehearted. What should I do? Open the door. Jesus is on the other side of the door of your heart. Isn't that what He said? Yeah. Those whom I love are rebuking and disciplined. Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. He's knocking at the door saying, Hey, can, we, can I come in here? I, mean, I really want to have a good relationship with you. Open the door. Be earnest and repent. Get to the place where you need to be. You don't have to get there all today. Just make a little improvement today. Moving in the right direction. Brothers and sisters and friends, I love you. I hope a good study of the Word of God like today moves us in a good direction. Have a great day. Uh, Have a great two weeks because I will be gone next week. I know Brian. Where's Brian? Brian will do an awesome job next week. Uh, You are dismissed.